This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, welcome to another Money Markets podcast. I'm Dan Coatesworth. Joining me this week to discuss the latest earnings updates is Danny Hewson. Hi, Danny. Hi, Dan. Yeah, we've had some mixed fortunes for markets. The FTSE 100 lost its grip on the psychological 8,000 mark as Wall Street stays shaky amid speculation that the Fed's rate hike cycle isn't as close to the top as investors had hoped and slow demand from China pulls down miners. Now, we had fairly robust profits from most of the UK's big high street banks, but Lloyds is sort of flagging that profit growth could stall as a cold wind blows through the housing market. Yeah, we'll have more on the latest figures after those from Rightmove showed the smallest house price growth since Rightmove started keeping records in 2001. Plus, Dan's been talking to Stuart Gray from Alliance Trust about what might happen if inflation falls, but interest rates stay high. Now, also on this week's podcast, the activist investor selling millions of Unilever shares. We'll also look at the short seller attack on Etsy and how Dark Crisis commissioned a review of its finances after allegations of accounting fraud. There is a huge amount to get through, Dan, um, and we're going to start with markets. And I've seen a lot of commentators using the phrase, here we go again. Um, and that is after Wall Street had its worst day so far in 2023 on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um Primarily, it's because we had a really good PMI reading, which renewed fears that the Fed will have to raise interest rates further to avoid overheating the economy. So we've got, once again, this weird scenario where good economic news is not always good news for financial markets. Uh, We also had... um, which I know has been described beautifully by you, Dan, as a bucket of cold water being poured on the market last week after two Federal Reserve members indicated that they would support a 50 basis point hike in the next US interest rate decision. Now, it was really interesting coming back after Christmas because it seems investors had decided in their minds that they were going to feel optimistic that a soft landing was going to be achievable. But this sort of shift seems to suggest now that this larger hike than some had expected um, might suggest that the Fed's nowhere near the end of its rate hike cycle and certainly calls into question the prospect of seeing rates come down later in the year. Now, it's been a bit of a strange week because markets were closed on Monday in the US for a public holiday. So it seemed that investors in the US really sort of took the weekend to sort of have a think about exactly where we are. And the fact that we had this PMI growth suggesting that US business activity uh, was really quite strong in February, reaching its highest level in eight months. And we had the UK Flash Composite Purchasing Managers Index similarly up as well, above the 50 threshold uh, for growth for the first time since July. So all of these two things really sort of knocking 
not only Wall Street, but also European markets. And as I say, um, the FTSE closed below the 8,000 mark for the first time in three sessions on Tuesday. And just looking at things today, it's no coincidence, really, that uh, you've got pharmaceuticals, uh, tobaccos, and some of the big consumer good companies really outperforming because those are defensive names. Amongst the biggest fallers, we've got miners, a, a double whammy there, because first, you know, you've got the assumption that if rates keep rising, that's going to do more damage to the economy. And we've got uh, commodity producers really sensitive to economic activity. And another reason we had Rio Tinto announcing today that it's more than halving its dividend after a 38% drop in profits. We had a similar fall that BHP announced earlier this week. Some of that is down to issues with China demand not being as hot as many people had expected. And also because, you know, we're coming off last year's records because we've got weaker prices for commodities. Now, there's good news, of course, for miners because China's economy is expected to pick up significantly over the course of the year because we now have that zero COVID policy at an end. But you know, with those weaker prices, that is really impacting the profit story. And that's sort of where we are with markets. But I did want to ask, Dan, have you experienced the great salad route yet? (laughs) I haven't, actually. No, it's just strange because I had a a delivery of food the other day and uh, there was nothing missing. So maybe I'm in for a shock for for my next week's (laughs) Well, for me, I wandered into the the local supermarket, um, and I won't give its name, but it's one of the two that uh, is now limiting sales of some produce. And the salad section was empty. I mean, I remember going into the supermarket sort of on the cusp of lockdowns where shelves had great big gaps on them. A a lot of it was sort of dried pasta and, and toilet roll, that sort of you know, battening down the hatches mentality. But it was really peculiar and I desperately needed tomatoes and then had to go and do a bit of a drive around to see if I could find some. And I did get some tomatoes. Um, It's because you've got some weather issues taking place in Spain and North Africa. Potentially there's some Brexit issues involved here as well because it doesn't seem to be something which is affecting other European countries. Um, But as I say, we've got Morrisons and Asda announcing that they're limiting sales. Tesco and Sainsbury so far said they're not. And it was interesting to to watch um, the shares in supermarkets yesterday because Marks and Spencers actually was the only one that made gains yesterday because it uh, put out a statement saying it wasn't experiencing these issues and it's worked to source alternative products. But for everybody thinking about inflation, of course, when you have shortages, what happens? Prices go up. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a very sort of complex situation. I think lots of people are hoping that we're in the situation where inflation is coming down, the, the cost of goods coming down. We go shopping and it's not so expensive, but um, it just just doesn't. It won't stop. It won't stop going up. It's really frustrating. <laughs> Um, weary i've heard that phrase inflation weary that's what we are there <laughs> so other other sort of big things catching my eye over the last week have been all the, the the uk banks have been reporting now you'd think that the latest results will be full of good news you know given that banks traditionally benefit from rising interest rates because it means that they can charge more money to lend to people but 
In general, we've seen the negative share price reaction to all the banks that have been reporting. NatWest and Barclays both really fell on the day. Um, Barclays was sort of saying that the investment banking business is is, doing much worse than people were hoping for, uh, weak and expected net interest margin. And the outlook for for 2023, nothing to write home about, according to one analyst that I was reading. Um, You know, NatWest... It had a, you know, a fairly strong performance in 2022, um, you know, jump in the net interest margin, better loan growth, higher trading income. But what spooked investors was comments from the chief executive sounding clear note of caution over the future. And w- what they're saying is that, that you know, they haven't seen significant signs of distress among customers. But you know, they are aware that people and businesses are struggling. And of course, you know, does it have this trickle effect? Are we going to see some problems? Lloyd's, you know, it, it comes out with a massive, uh, and, and HSBC as well, big big increase in the dividend. But again, there's just nothing in their results to try and sort of trigger these earnings upgrades that will drive the share price higher. So overall, I think the banks have had a pretty good run in January on the on the stock market, and you know, investors just looked at them and went, well, okay, maybe maybe this is time to sort of take take a bit of profit. But I guess not helping their cause is um, some pretty gloomy figures out on the, the state of the housing market. Right Move came and said, um, you know, the average asking price for a UK property was up just £14 in January. £14. That, that's the smallest ever increase for the period since Right Move started to track the data uh, back in 2001. So, you know, Affordability is an issue for many people. Having uh, moving on to if on the tracker mortgage, um, it's become a lot more expensive to pay it. The other thing that people are saying is, what about all the people, uh, you know, homeowners who are on fixed rate mortgages, where that fixed term is coming to an end? They have yet to feel the shock of this, uh, and so whilst all the retailers and you know other sort of consumer facing companies are saying actually maybe things aren't as bad as we thought. There could still be some sort of tremors in the market as people come off those fixed rate deals and have to sort of suddenly find you know, hundreds and hundreds of extra pounds every month just to pay their mortgage um, sort of bill. Yeah, um, we know that rates have fallen from the 6.65% highs that we saw after Liz Truss's mini budget in September, but they're still way above what they were a year ago. And I was taking a look, and according to MoneyFax, the research firm, an average two-year and an average five-year fixed-rate mortgage are still above 5%. So, you know, you're absolutely right. For lots of people um, uh, expecting to remortgage this year, it's going to be a huge shock so um you know do sort of take a think now um if you are planning if you need to remortgage you can do it ahead of time you can also maybe look to go for an interest only mortgage or extending the term and i know that's something that uh, a lot of people have been talking about but um, in this situation i would definitely suggest talking to a mortgage broker they are definitely your friend at the moment um there's also been lots of talk this week down about the uk's public finances um self assessment tax take came in at a record 21.9 billion quid now th- that is the most that has been brought in since uh, records began since they started taking a, a look at um, records and effectively what that meant is that 
the public sector finances for January came in at a surplus of £5.4 billion. Now, this was cause for quite a bit of celebration because it, it was unexpected. And it's five billion more than the Office for Budget Responsibility actually forecast in November. So now, of course, you've got all the speculation in the papers that this might mean that Chancellor Jeremy Hunt may have a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to the budget in a few weeks' time. But, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of demand for that cash. We've got, obviously, energy bills still incredibly high. The expectation that, you know, the the energy bills, that the help that we're getting from the government will go from 2500 to £3,000 we're still waiting to find out about the price cap, what's going to happen there. Energy bills are expected to come down, but you know it's still incredibly unaffordable to an awful lot of people. And there's a lot of pressure on the government to try and continue the support, maybe even give people that extra bit of support for those people who really are struggling. And the other thing that there's been an awful lot of talk about is public sector pay. Now, the government, the figure that's been bandied about today as we record this on Wednesday is 3.5%. That is the figure that's being recommended by the government as the public sector pay offer, which will now go to an independent pay review. But a lot of the papers are talking about the potential that the Prime Minister might actually come in with a 5% pay deal. He's previously said any more than that would be inflationary. And of course, you know, we, we all understand the importance of keeping inflation in check. But it is something which does need resolving because we saw huge a huge amount of hours lost to strike action um, over December and also in January as well. And and I've just had an email from my kids' school saying that they won't be at school on Tuesday because teachers are going out on strike as well. Um, so there's a, a lot of appetite from the public to get these pay deals sorted to end the strikes. And and we know that um, the Royal College of Nursing has suspended next week's action whilst pay talks resume. Um, It's going to be fascinating uh, what comes up uh, in the budget, uh, but I imagine an awful lot of it will come out before the budget. So let's move on to Unilever. Um, It's been subject to an activist investor in the form of Nelson Peltz, um, he's been trying to push for, for change for a while. He snapped up a stake through his investment company, Tryon Partners, and then eventually got a seat on the board of directors. What's really interesting is that Peltz has now sold $70 million worth of shares in the company. And to me, that's quite interesting. And it, it sort of implies his campaign as an activist investor is coming to an end. Um I think the catalyst might have been appointing a new chief executive. So Hein Schumacher is going to join the company in the summer. Now, he's currently the boss of a Dutch dairy cooperative, um, and he'll replace Alan Jope, who has kind of sort of overseen a business that's struggled for a number of years, um, really sluggish growth, um, very sort of topsy-turvy, inconsistent strategy. And so this hope is that, um, you know, that the new guy Schumacher will come in and sort of be quick to make some changes. And it, it already seems like Peltz is a fan of uh, the new CEO. 
from when he used to work at Heinz, which was another company where um, you know, Peltz was an activist investor. So um, I, I, personally, I'm surprised to see him start to sell out of Unilever now because you know, arguably the share price has not reacted to potential changes that the new boss might make. But um, maybe that's his style. He, he's orchestrated the changes. Um, uh, it's quick to get out. He's probably got his eye on something else, his next target. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, to, to watch how some of these big investors react to changes. Um, been keeping a look um, at what's been going on in Dark Trace as well. Um, it, you know, this is a company, a cybersecurity company based in the UK, which has had a pretty torrid time really uh, over the last year. Um, shares down about halved in value since the beginning of March last year. And it has now said that it is going to bring in EY to conduct an independent review of its finances. Now, this is because of allegations from a New York-based hedge fund, Quintessential Capital Management. It accused Dark Trace of a, a series of, of questionable accounting practices, and it released a massive report, 69-page report, and, and we saw shares when that report was um, uh, uh, submitted to the public, we saw shares um, drop again. Um, Dark Trace has denied the allegations and said that you know it's it's commissioned this report in order to to set investors' nerves at, at ease, really. But this is a company which hasn't really had the best relationship with investors. Investors have been a, a bit concerned about the way that it reports, about the business model, about the technology. It's also a bit concerned uh, about connections with Mike Lynch. Mike Lynch co-founded Dark Trace, is one of the largest shareholders. He's currently fighting extradition to the US where he's accused of fraudulently inflating the value of his previous company, Autonomy. Now, he denies the allegations. We also had an issue um, last year with Dark Trace where a private equity firm, Thomas Bravo, um, had been looking to take the business private and then abandon those plans. So, I think Dark Trace really needed to do something to to settle investor nerves. This report's not going to be available in time for the half-year results on 8th of March, but it needs to get this report out pretty quickly. But what is interesting is that you know, this is the kind of company that the FTSE London markets really want on their books. They, they want these growth companies, these tech companies, which have done so well in the US, not so well at the moment, but uh, historically they've done incredibly well. These trying to sort of figure out exactly what's coming in and when it is actually quite difficult because a premium is placed on sort of software sales and and when you're selling software, you know you're you're talking about um, being able to offer services which are for a full year and, and when do you take into account that cash, which is certainly something which. I think some investors have have questioned. So uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what comes out of that report. I think there's quite a bit of similarity with um, the arts and crafts consumer platform Etsy. Now, it's another example of a business that's attracted um, sort of negative attention 
you know, lots of people have sort of been sort of suggesting that Dark Trace is 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 not quite as um, clean cut as the company would like to to think it is. And Etsy's now been accused of flogging dodgy goods, so it's had a a short selling attack. This is where someone, um, typically a research company, will will publish a report highlighting things that he thinks it's wrong, um, and then if the share price falls. This uh, report author will, will, will stand to profit from uh, the decline in the share price. So, um, so we have Citron Research have come out and said that uh, alleging that Etsy is one of the largest counterfeiting platforms in the world. So, um, you know, not not mincing their words really. So, what they're sort of saying is that you, essentially you can go on there and you can buy um, lots of products that are basically just, you know, ripping off really well-known brands, and so. They said if you if you type in the word Disney, you get over a million listings appear for products that are play on Disney brands. Um, but what it's saying is that the top four listings are actually adverts from sellers who've paid Etsy to buy the keyword Disney, um, and so it, it thinks that this is that it's really quite sort of dodgy behaviour. Um, you know, there's other names like Nike. Um, Rolex, sort of similar situation. So the idea that you know, anyone can go on to Etsy um, and create a product, and essentially you're playing on someone else's brand and hoping that you can you can make some sales. And um, now, whilst short sellers are not always right, in many situations they have helped to sniff out significant corporate wrongdoing over the years. So I, personally, when I do see uh, a short selling report, I I'll just I'll try to look at it rationally and saying, what is it that they're trying to sell? You know, Etsy selling sort of products that rip off other people is, it, you know, lots of people will know that already. Um, but I guess it's like, is it really a high risk investment? Is there a, sort of a risk here that you're going to have um, multiple brands who are going to sort of say, you know, you're stealing our trademarks, you're exploiting our brand, and what could be the financial repercussions, the reputational repercussions? For, for a name like Etsy. So you know, definitely one to, to keep your eye on. Yeah, reputational damage is, is huge. And, you know, it does impact how both consumers and investors feel about a company and how they engage with a company. And something which I know that you've been looking at this week is this whole issue of the force fitting of prepayment meters. And Ofgem has said that it's, it's going to take a look. So what they're saying is if you're wrongly forced to have a prepayment meter fitted, you might be eligible for some compensation. So it stems to, there was an investigation by the Times that found um, agents working on behalf of British Gas were essentially breaking into people's homes and fitting prepayment meters. Many of these, these sort of customers were vulnerable individuals. Um, and this led to a sort of a temporary ban on new prepayment meters being fitted, but that ends on the 31st of March. Uh, and so at that, that point, you know, th- there's a risk that you could suddenly get go back to what we used to have. And you find people who, who are you know, indebted to their energy provider could automatically be moved onto a prepayment meter. So I think what Ofgen wants to do is investigate whether, you know, certainly with British Gas, did it properly support customers who were owing money before they moved them onto prepayment meter or, or disconnected their supply. So Business and Energy Secretary Grant Shapps has warned suppliers that you know, moving customers onto sort of a prepay system should be a last resort, that they must take every step possible to support people in financial difficulty. 
because it all stems to the fact that if you are on a prepayment meter, um, you know, there's, there's facts that show that you could be paying more for your energy. So um, estimates suggest 4 million households already in this situation are paying £60 more for the energy just because they've got a prepaid meter there. Yeah, and of course, these are usually the people that can least afford to pay the extra. And if you don't have the cash, you don't have, you know, to put into a prepayment meter, then your lights don't come on and your heating doesn't come on. And there were some figures from Citizens Advice which said that last year an estimated 600,000 people were switched to these prepayment meters, um, which just, you know, goes to show the the sort of scale of the problem. And um, as I say, you know, this is something which Centrica is going to have to deal with them. And its British gas arm has made a big deal out of the fact that it it wants to help people, that it's got cash available, that its customer services teams are there to help you work through this problem because it's a, a perception thing. It's an image issue, particularly when you've got Centrica making huge profits and a lot of the public saying, you know, this leaves a bad taste because you are effectively making cash from people's misfortune. It's nothing that you're doing. It's just because energy prices are incredibly high. And I think investors and consumers are hyper aware of that. And you guys are all listening to this pod because you're either an investor or you're thinking about being an investor. You do it to make your money work harder. And if you can feel good about doing that for whatever reason, so much the better. Now, just having security is enough to make some people feel good. Um, for other people, it's helping the world become a better place. Over the coming weeks, we're going to feature a selection of real-life investors, everyday people who are working hard to squirrel money away. This week, Una talks about her experience with investing, why she's doing it, and what she's learned along the way. Um, I mean, was there a, a particular goal when you thought, OK, I'm going to start investing do you have something in mind that you wanted to reach further down the line? Oh, yeah, complete, like, yeah. financial independence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... Did you have it in your mind that actually, you know, if I start investing now, maybe I can perhaps retire early? Or it was it just to give you a bit more confidence as you're going along that you, you've got money to fall back on, perhaps? Absolutely. More confidence. And also, because I've got three children, two of whom are girls, I wanted to, um, like, be a role model and be able to speak about investing because I know that um, women are very good at saving little amounts of money, but not as good as taking like a longer term, kind of bigger view of their finances. So I felt like that was important too. Yeah, and you know, and you know, do you get your children involved in investing now? Yes, I do. Yeah, I talk about it like almost all of the time, and I've been getting my twenty-year-old daughter into uh, investing. Yeah, and what what does how does she find it? Does she find you know interesting or? Just it looks at saying, oh, you know, mum's trying to get me to do something. It's more like mum's trying to get me, but I think it's a long game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. So, I mean, what, in terms of how much money you put into your account, are you are you putting money into, say, an ISA or a pension quite regularly? Or is this like just, just as and when you've got something spare? No, I'm uh, trying to do that uh, pound cost investing. So I'm trying to set up like a, a discipline, a regular monthly input into my SIP and also um, I know the ISA comes up once a year so but I'm mindful of that as well. 
is, is, is something like an ISA important to you because there's tax efficient savings to be made there? Yeah, having an ISA is like a, a very important part of my investing strategy. So it's like a non-negotiable every year. I whack that money away and the tax efficiency is, is a very attractive part of the ISA for me. Yeah. Mm. And what, so in your investment portfolio, how, how broad do you go? Are you interested in individual companies or do you just try and stick with funds? I, 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 um, in my investing uh, strategy, I tend to stick with the funds because I figure there are people doing this uh, with a lot more expertise and experience than I'm, that I'm able to do. So I lean on the funds. Yeah. Mm. And how, do you, how did you choose the funds in your portfolio? Is it they, they, they sort of have certain themes or you want exposure to different parts of the world? To... So in my, in my strategy, in my investing strategy, I'm very keen on, on being as broad as possible and having exposure to as many parts of the profitable world as possible. So I know that um, you know, some parts of the world uh, will have challenges right now, so I'm trying to kind of hedge my bets and, and be as broad as possible in my, in my investing. Do you have a, a favourite fund in your portfolio that you, you keep taking a look at thinking, I, I'm really quite excited about what this might do for my, growing my money over the long term? There's not a favourite fund, um, and I tend to try not to go in too often because over the past year and a bit, it's been bleeding red. <laughs> so I'm trying to, um, you know, just kind of take a step back. And I know that uh, time in the market is more important than trying to time the markets. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. how do you feel about investing in general? Does it sort of trigger emotions that you know, when you've put money into your account, do you feel good after doing that? Yeah, I think after um, certainly logging in to AJ Bell and to doing a bit of tweaking every so often, not all the time, I do have a feeling of con control and confidence that I didn't have beforehand. So I feel like my money is pretty safe and that um, I'm on a reliable platform and also that I know that uh, things will rebound. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you, what about if you've got one of your funds in your portfolio and it's paying out a nice dividend, does that give you like a warm feeling at all? Yeah, the dividends for sure are a very nice feeling. Yeah. When I see those little emails come in, I'm like, okay, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bonus. It's not very much, but it, you know, every little helps. I think a lot of people think about investing is like playing the lottery. It's like a, just a total gamble and like, if they win, that's great. But, um, but actually, are you, are you, do you take a different view? Are you thinking, okay, this is a slow and steady approach to trying building up my wealth and then hopefully I'll get the rewards and, and your children hopefully as well? Uh, yeah, I definitely don't view this as kind of a, a lottery or this is a nice thing that might happen um, because I know that, you know, investing little and often and timing the mar time in the market will, will pay off. Do you ever talk about investing with any friends or family at all? And I'm just wondering whether if, you, if you're enthusiastic about it, is that sort of rubbed off on, on people that you know when they've started to do it? Yeah, I think um, over the past couple of years, I've noticed like a greater willingness to talk about investments with, with friends, um, with people my own age. I think uh, in past times, it was less, it was more of a taboo subject. But now I think there's been a lot of work done 
in particular with women, getting women investing in the stock market than there has been. And I've definitely seen, um, seen greater conversations among my friends about investing. Do they come to you and think because you've been doing this <laughs> for some time that you're the expert? Or no, no, nobody considers me to be like the sage of, you know, London or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I think I, you know, I use, I use the platform and I think I'm, I try to keep up with the news and I think I try to you know, try to be kind of systematic and, uh, and measured in my approach. I mean, if, if, if there's someone that you, you perhaps know is considering investing, it, what, what would you sort of say to them to try and to encourage them to get on this journey if they might have been a bit hesitant beforehand? I would tell them uh, to figure out, first of all, the kind of person they are, like what their investing style might be, because that will help that will help them to kind of narrow in on, on what they should do, whether it's they're kind of risk takers and they like the idea of buying individual shares or if they want to kind of spread their risk and invest in a, in a range of funds. So I would say the, the best thing that they could do is to do some, you know, do some work on themselves first and figure out what feels right. And there's lots of online tools that will tell you the kind of investor you will, you will be before you even get to the, you know, the stage of uh, logging in and creating an account. I think my experience as an investor so far has been eye-opening, um, interesting. Um, I wouldn't say it's been completely profitable, <laughs> uh, but I'm hoping that when things get a little bit better on the economic front, that I will start to see bigger and better rewards. So Una there, and we're, we're going to be hearing from uh, a number of investors about their investing journey. Um, I was quite lucky because I had a workplace pension um, that I signed up to when I was in my early 20s. So that's probably the first time that I got into investing. And apart from that, it, it wasn't until I shifted jobs and started working um, for a financial services company that, that I really started to think about investing and thought, well, if I'm, I'm talking about investing, I, I really need to go ahead and do it. So then you start thinking about consolidating your pensions and about, you know, buying shares in certain companies. And, and that for me is where it all started. And I think a lot of it is down to the fact that I have significant birthday coming up. I'm not going to say which one, but I am, <laughs> I am seriously thinking about, you know, my pension and retirement and the fact that I've got a huge amount of things to pay for between now and then because my kids are hopefully going off to university. Well, I got into investing, I guess, the same in my 20s, the work, you know, started a workplace pension, but I really didn't think I had no thought at all about where that money was, was was being held i guess in the start i probably you know like a lot of people probably naively thought okay it's sitting in a in a bank account um <laughs> sitting in cash but then i guess when i started to write about investing um i threw myself in at the deep end straight into the highest risk things you can imagine buying lots and lots of um you know mining technology shares and you know I, 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 like many people, I learned the hard way. Um, you know, crikey, these things go go down as fast as they go up. Um, <laughs> and I think it wasn't until it sort of maybe you know I, I did that for a bit, and then maybe in my sort of late thirties, I got I need to have a bit more sensible strategy, and I completely changed my approach, and um, you know, much more sensible now, and 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 you know, taking a longer term view, having a longer term plan about things, and so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. 
like like investing in general, you, you learn from your mistakes, and I'm I'm quite glad I made mistakes early on because I was able to sort of fix those problems. Um, you know, while I still had time on my side, I guess. Yes, time is a, a funny thing, as uh, I know, staring at this birthday heading towards me. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alliance Trust is a popular investment trust fund among UK investors looking for exposure to global equities. It is slightly unusual in that the trust features uh, a panel of managers from different companies rather than just one company running it. Stuart Gray is a co-portfolio manager of the trust and he recently met up to talk to Dan about what is going on in the markets and the recent changes to Alliance Trust's portfolio. Let's hear what he had to say. Stuart, investors seem confident we would have minimal rate hikes from here and perhaps inflation is going to ease. But actually, we just had some comments from two Federal Reserve members that rates could actually go up by 50 basis points in March. Do you think that's a plausible outcome? And if that does happen, is that enough to perhaps hurt equity markets and we'll see the current rally we've seen this year come to an end? Yes, well, it's certainly a plausible scenario. Um, of course, judging the likelihood of these things is is a lot harder. And second guessing the direction of interest rate changes isn't exactly what, what we do or how we think many people can add value. Um, but obviously getting those calls right or wrong in the short term can have um, you know, very positive or negative impacts on, on your return. We know that ultimately it's company fundamentals that drive prices in the long term. So that's where we focus our time and effort. But clearly you have to think about companies and their long-term fundamentals in the context of what's happening now. And exactly as you said, right now, the market is sort of expecting that uh, inflation's easing and interest rates have, have plateaued. Um, of course, I think the Fed is just trying to remind people that if inflation doesn't actually come down as people expect, or as fast as people expect, then more rate hikes are on the table. So that's definitely not people's central expectation right now, but it, it could happen. Um, and of course, if it does happen, you know, given that maybe that's not exactly what the market's pricing in, it probably could hurt equity markets in the short term. But again, it's it's what happens to the companies in your portfolio in the long run that is the real driver of your long-term returns. Do you think there's be a situation where we do see inflation falling, but actually interest rates don't come down, they stay at high levels? Is, is that possible? Yeah, it is. But of course, there's a lot more to talk about in, in that sort of scenario. Um, let's break it into two. Uh, what if inflation falls? Well, that should be good for the market. Um, it should be good for companies. It, generally, it should reduce their sort of input cost pressures. It should reduce the wage pressures that a lot of companies are feeling right now. So it should help with profit margins. So inflation falling is probably a good thing for companies uh, on average. Um, but what if interest rates don't move? Now, there's a lot more going on in that scenario, but how is the economy doing? Why are interest rates not moving? But assuming that inflation is coming down, then interest rates should be able to ease. Um, if that's not happening, uh, maybe it's because the economies are strong. So there's all sorts of things we could talk about. But what, what it really comes down to is, how are your companies adapting to that scenario? And that's where we think the focus on company fundamentals is really the key to what investors should be focusing on right now, rather than trying to work out exactly what's going to happen to interest rates next next month or next quarter, et cetera. Okay. So what, what's the sort of feedback from the sort of the panel of fund managers who help 
um, to make decisions on what goes inside Alliance Trust's portfolio. So, you know, we've seen growth stocks pick up again after a pretty miserable time last year. So yeah. I, I presume that the, the growth style managers are a bit more optimistic, but is the same for sort of the value sort of style investment managers on your in your portfolio as well? Yeah, it is actually. Um, it's quite interesting. I mean, those who know anything about Alliance Trust know that we've got a, a pretty good, diverse mix of managers who focus on lots of different types of companies. Um, and interestingly, they're all seeing quite a lot of opportunity right now. And it's for some of the reasons that we've just been talking about, um, with inflation and interest rates being the dominant forces recently. What that's creating is this environment where everyone's very focused on short-term macro issues. And it's creating opportunities for long-term investors, no matter whether they are growth investors or value investors or you know, quality compound investors. So when we talk to our managers, what we're hearing is that not that all growth stocks are now cheap or all value stocks are cheap, um, but the select companies that we're focusing on, and we customize our portfolios um, to be very concentrated. We ask our stock pickers to focus on only 10 or 20 of their best ideas. If you're only focused on such a small number of ideas, you really can pick the best opportunities out there in the market. And the growth managers and the value managers are saying, if you take a long-term view of companies in our area, there are some really big mispricings that have been created by this myopic focus on interest rates and inflation that we've had in the last one or two years. Is it possible that a growth sort of style stocks and value style investing can do well at the same time? Because I, I think a lot of investors assume that it's only one or the other can be sort of in fashion. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because... I think if you looked at the the high sort of factor level, if you like, um, take MSCI value, MSCI growth, and sort of those factor indices, it's quite hard for them to both do well at the same time. Uh, so that's how most people would normally think about it. But it's certainly possible for a, a concentrated value investor and a growth investor to outperform at the same time. And in fact, we have been seeing that in the Alliance Trust portfolio recently. So it, it really comes down to uh, you know whether they're picking out the, the best opportunities and also the the market environment. So, as you said, inflation has been easing. The market has been very focused on short-term uh, protection, if you like. You know, with interest rates going up, that forces people to focus on on shorter-term cash flows. With people worried about recession, that forces people to wor worry about shorter-term safety. So the market has been very short-term recently. As the market starts to look longer term, as those pressures ease, then long-term growth stocks and long-term value stocks, you know, companies that look attractive on a long-term basis can start to do well at the same time. So we can have lots of our managers doing well uh, similar times in the marketplace. Um, and that's, I think, a real benefit from just taking a long-term view versus the market right now. What sort of stocks have your managers um in the in the Alliance Trust portfolio, been buying and selling recently. Then, yeah, well, obviously, being long term investors, we don't trade and change the portfolio very often. But of course, we do want them to be taking advantage of the volatility that we've been seeing, and, and clearly, markets have been volatile. So, a lot of the transactions have really been around where you know where share prices have, have risen steeply and sort of met our long term value targets you know, sooner than perhaps we might expect. So examples there would be companies like um, 
BAE Systems or Booz Allen Hamilton in the defense space. These are companies that we've held for quite a long time, actually, a long time before you know, the terrible events in Ukraine, um, because we thought the market was just undervaluing the real you know, quality cash flow generation capability of these companies. Now, the Ukraine crisis, amongst other things, has really forced the market to recognize the value of these companies you know, quite quickly. So we've taken profits on those and actually sold those positions. Uh, they've done quite well. And then on the other side, I've been mean, trying to take advantage of um, you know, where there might be more concerns in the marketplace or things being uh, a little bit under the radar, if you like. Uh, one of our managers, uh, Black Creek, has been picking up some companies in the healthcare space. So Humana is a U.S. healthcare insurer um, that benefits from longer term aging demographics in the U.S., amongst other things. Or you've got Essity, which is a Swedish health and hygiene company. Uh, I think the name Essity comes from a combination of the words essentials and necessity. So it gives you an idea of the types uh, of products they're selling and the company it is. You know, the, in an inflationary world or in a, in a difficult economic environment, these are the kind of products that you know, uh, customers come back to buy again and again and again. Um, so good quality business model um, in this market environment, leading to some interesting opportunities in that space. Okay. And then finally, you're asking before about you know, growth investors. You know, we don't see that the whole growth space is now very attractive because of the recent falls. But there are certainly some companies which we think are good businesses that will continue to grow cash flows over long periods of time, um, but have come down a lot with the rest of, of that space of the market. So a company like that would be Workday, where I think from its peak, it probably fell around 50% um, along with most other growth stocks. Uh, but we see you know, good long-term strength in that business model. Um, it provides you know, critical cloud-based software solutions to companies for their HR management and other management functions. We think there's long runways of growth um, and market potential to grow that business. So a good entry point into what we think is a, a good longer-term growth company. So Stuart Gray there, co-portfolio manager of Alliance Trust. And if there's someone you'd like to get us to talk to, on the podcast, uh, please get in touch with us. It's drop us an email, podcast at ajbell.co.uk. On next week's show, I'll be talking to Ken Wooten from Strategic Equity Capital Investment Trust about the recovery in UK small cap stocks and where he sees the best opportunities. For now, that is it for this pod. Do remember to subscribe and please leave a review wherever you get your pods because it really does help other people find it. Thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.